deeply. Over the past several pandemic lockdown restricted months, parents and guardians have gained a new understanding of their students' education. Through Zoom conferences, Blackboard, and Google Classroom, the mystery of what's being taught in brick and mortar schools from new techniques being used in mathematics to the point of view forwarded in American history, depending on the textbook used in your state, history can widely vary. Don't know much about history. In 2020, the New York Times published an examination of the differences in history textbooks used in California and Texas. The Times report found that students received a different view of the story of America. Other news publications in California and Texas picked up on the story. Here are two quick examples from the McGraw-Hill text highlighted in a January 14th Dallas Observer post for their departures in perspective. First, the Texas text. It cites beginning, quote, racial etiquette, end quote, for the rise in violence against newly freed African-American post-Reconstruction lynching. But the California text states that the purpose of lynching was to, beginning, quote, discourage black political and economic power, end quote. Hmm. Many American historians point to the period of post-Civil War Reconstruction as one of the most misunderstood and seldom taught stretches in American history. It is the basis of one of the most racist movies in history, D.W. Griffith's A Birth of a Nation, screened at the White House by President Woodrow Wilson. Example two, this time from the California text. When it comes to redlining, the California text tells us that white Americans made their exodus from cities where segregation ended due to, a beginning quote, a desire to get away from more culturally diverse neighborhoods, end quote, while the Texas text said that white flight had nothing to do with people of color. Instead, Texans learned that white flight occurred because some people wished to escape the crime and congestion of the city. Crime. Congestion, the city. It's the start of teaching the next generation the dog whistle language of racism. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. So what do you do when the textbook conflicts with your understanding of history? If you're a parent, you could take the approach of attorney and philanthropist Erica Harding Gibson and encourage your student to challenge the narrative. You know, because I was listening to one of my daughter's classes, and um, I don't know if she's going to be happy about me sharing this, but they were talking about uh, <laughs> all men, you know, the Declaration of Independence and all men are created equal. And I'm just sitting there side-eyed, like, really? Like, teach the real thing. Teach what that meant, right? What that meant for Black people, because we weren't considered men then, you know? Teach what that me meant for women. Um, and so this revisionist view of history, you got to challenge it. When you're sitting in class and you know a teacher is saying something that doesn't make sense, and you know you've learned in your Black history class or in your Black history home class, you know you've learned that that's not how it really was. You know you've learned from your grandma's stories or your grandpa's stories about picking cotton, you know, what rights they had and what they didn't have. You know when you learned from your grandma that she had to drink from a different fountain and that she had to pick cotton all day for three cents or five cents or whatever 
uh, small amount of money it was, um, you know what you're learning isn't right, challenge it. Don't be afraid to challenge it. And don't be concerned about what the teachers are gonna say. Um, you know, if there's a problem, if they come back at you with retaliation, reach out to some parents, reach out to your own parent. If your own parent is a little uh, timid, reach out to the parent that you know is vocal. I'm there for you. <laughs> and there are plenty of parents like me that are not going to allow you to be silenced, especially when you're speaking truth. So what do you do when the textbook conflicts with America's understanding of history? If you're a journalist like Nicole Hannah-Jones, you launch an ambitious project to rewind history and start the story of America at the point in which Africans reached the shores of Virginia. Yeah, you probably heard about it, the 1619 Project. It won a Pulitzer Prize. The mission of the 1619 Project was very clear. Its aim was to reframe the country's history by placing consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. The result was a curriculum that was adopted by schools, districts, including Chicago Public Schools, districts throughout California and others across the country. President Trump opposes 1619. Through nebulous legal means, Trump has threatened to end public funding to any group that uses the 1619 Project. The project's founder spoke out against Trump's threats on shows on CNN, MSNBC, and here on TMZ. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think all Americans should have a strong reaction to the president attempting to censor a work of journalism from being taught in American schools. Uh, the truth is, though, President Trump doesn't actually have the power to defund schools for what they teach. There's a law uh, that does not allow the federal government to intervene in what local school districts are deciding to teach and the curriculum of local school districts. But this is clearly just... Um, he sees this as another tool in the arsenal of the culture wars that he hopes is going to stoke enough racial animus to uh, allow him to win in November. As the late New York senator famously said, beginning quote, everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts, end quote. And, you know, that leads me to the recent controversy about American history when it began in 1619, when the first African slaves came to the shores of Americas, or 1776, when colonists declared their independence from the British. Where do you think history began with Blacks? Oh, you mean being, yeah. history began with Black folks being brought over on the boat as slaves, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, even thinking about it, you know, you see, I'm thinking about going to the museum in uh, DC and the pictures and the, you know, the images. When you think about that, you think about these were our ancestors packed mm -hmm. on a boat in horrid temperatures and brought you know, from another continent um, to serve as slaves. Uh, that's where it began. So you wanna teach US history, teach it the right way, teach it, Teach people about how we were enslaved. Um, teach our kids um, what it meant for um, what you know what Plessy v. Ferguson meant and didn't mean. Um, talk about Brown v. Board of Education, which wasn't that long ago, um, in most of our parents' lifetime. 
um, talk about now because we certainly are digressing at this point. Uh, that's They need to understand the full history. It always amazes me how many young and older white people have not been taught true history. One educator and playwright who has been teaching American history the right way in the classroom and on stage has been Ted Williams III. Williams III is the chairman of the Social Science Department at Kennedy King College in Chicago. Williams also is a playwright behind the musical 1619, The Journey of a People, a work that took center stage to a wide audience pre-coronavirus. Today, we talked to Ted Williams III about 1619, our 45th U.S. president, and the value of setting history to music. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by A1 Pest Masters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pest Masters. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. This is Valerie Johnson with Interludes, and on today, I am pleased to be talking with Ted Williams III. He's taught political science at Wright College, Chicago State, and currently is the chairman of Social Science Department at Kennedy King College, and he holds degrees in public policy from the University of Chicago and Rutgers University. And I got familiar with him by watching 1619. A, a Journey of a People, a historical musical now being presented virtually, unfortunately, due to COVID, because that was one of the last things I saw before live performances got shut down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ted Williams III. How you doing today? I'm well, uh, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Thank you so very much. I'm, I'm excited. We talked earlier in the year, and that's how I met him at the very end of the performance for 1619, and I was just just wildly impressed because you acted in this as well as wrote it is that correct yes ma'am <laughs> yeah 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 all right so let, let's let's get to it because you're a political science head and i got questions 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 so let's sure, get sure, right yeah. to it uh president trump tweeted earlier this year that he has done uh beginning quote more for the black community than any other president since abraham lincoln would you agree or disagree with the president's personal assessment? <laughs> I'm sorry to start the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. What a way to start okay. the show. <laughs> that is ridiculous, Valerie. I mean, come on, you know? I mean, come on. I, I can't even dignify some of his statements with responses. Um, the answer is quite clearly no. Okay. Um, if you want to put my, if you want me to put my political science hat on and not uh, just be appalled as an American citizen, let me throw it on for a second and say that you can make the argument that FDR was a president that heavily benefited people of color, 
by the New Deal and um, uh, programs to empower the marginalized. You can make the case that Kennedy, by um, helping to be a conduit for the civil rights movement, uh, has done more for African-Americans. You can make the case that Eisenhower, a Republican himself, uh, who put federal troops uh, in action to make sure that the Little Rock Nine could go to school. You can make the case that Lyndon Johnson, who was a Southern segregationist, and yet still initiated the war on poverty, did more for people of color. You could make the case that Jimmy Carter did more. I mean, you could go all the way down the line, Barack Obama, George Bush, uh, even Bill Clinton, who you know has gotten a bad reputation lately for some of the policies of the 90s, you could still make the case that uh, with the rise in the economy and even his um, desire to embrace uh, the African-American community and put people of color in positions of power and authority across the country has done more. Um, so I think uh, President Trump is a little bit deluded in that way. All right, and have we ever had oh, a president like Trump? Have we ever and, and, and yeah, he, yeah, let me clarify. He's, he's not deluded, he's delusional, but he may be deluded too. I don't know. Um, um, have we ever had a president like it? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, a president who has, uh, used his power to promote xenophobia uh, absolutely i mean american history is full of those I, at first when i think of is andrew jackson who's okay. responsible for the trail of tears which ultimately uh killed thousands of native americans uh i think trump and his language is very similar to andrew uh jackson i think that um woodrow wilson who uh went to princeton who was the president who was the president of princeton only president with a, with a PhD actually used to um, be a bit of a fan of his uh, in that way as I was beginning to learn his story. And so I learned about his positions on race and uh, the screening of Birth of a Nation at the White House and recognized that his cozying up with white supremacists in the White House is tragic. And so, you know, Joe Biden said that Trump was the worst president we've ever had. A lot of people have said that. I don't think he is. Um, I think he's definitely the worst president of my lifetime. And I think, you know, you probably, maybe you put him in the top 10 there at least, you know, in terms of not just the economic piece, because a lot of people say, well, Trump's economy is good. Well, I would suggest that the economy is cyclical and does not change as quickly as the president's change. So the Obama economy, which he was given by George Bush was in a recession, uh, President Obama, and uh, Joe Biden and their whole economic team was able to use um, the really the power of supply side economics. They were really to, able to put together the stimulus package and really kind of bring life back to the economy. And if you look at the economic numbers, the economy was growing when Obama left. Yeah. Uh, and, though, and it continued to grow when Trump came into office, but it began to grow by smaller measures. So it's so he's right in saying that the economy has grown, but he's not necessarily right in taking full credit for it. So I think that is really uh, the issue that we got to think of. Even if the economy is good, the stock market stock market is uh, has hit record levels, right? The stock market is really just about the confidence of people who want to invest. It's a very subjective measure in that way. It could go up and down every day based on what's going on in the world. It's not the best indication of how the economy is doing. The best indication of how the economy is doing really is unemployment and wages. 
And in both of those, uh, Trump has done horribly, I would say much worse than um, in since COVID hit. And I don't fully blame him for COVID, but I do blame him for um, a weak response to it nationally, which has exacerbated the problem and made many more people die than, than needed to die. There is Williams III, the historian. And now let's meet Williams III, the playwright. Here's a clip from 1619, The Journey of a People. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. His dream, it lives on in each one of us. In you, in you, in you, in you, in you. I surely hope you don't believe our work is through. You see, it's time for this generation to rise up and do what it came to do. This is serious, I say, our lives are at stake. This is no joke. Today we have new movements like Black Lives Matter and hashtag stay woke. In an age where Instagram and Twitter connect us through social media is one of our greatest tools. The words of Dr. King ring true now as they did in the past. We must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as foes. The journalist behind the original 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, has been personally attacked by President Trump and the Trump administration. The argument against 1619 is that it portrays black people as starting out as slaves in America and therefore victims, instead of emphasizing the words of Thomas Jefferson that all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. What's your take on this argument? (laughs) The words of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, how about the other words of Thomas Jefferson that um, in the notes on the state of Virginia, in which he wrote that uh, people of African descent were innately inferior in the endowments of body and mind. This is uh, these were also the words right. of Thomas Jefferson in that way, right? Mm. So, I think that so obviously you know our project, our musical is separate from the 1619 project. Mm-hmm. Um, although recently I've been getting some of the same flack that the 1619 project has gotten, um, yeah. and I, which, I, which I find is funny because our show is primarily about the African American journey, really post uh, slavery. So we start off in slavery but really it's a reflection on being black in America and uh, what that means and and celebrating the victories and that kind of thing. And so we've been doing that. So anyone to me that would deny history um, is on the wrong side of history. Anyone to me that would deny education is a problem. Mm -hmm. I think as we all know that if we don't know our history, we are bound to repeat it. And so when I look at the attacks coming towards the 1619 Project, I think they are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I think that America has this marriage to the notion of American exceptionalism. Uh, And there's a theological uh, piece to that exceptionalism. There is an ideological and political piece, but it is really the idea that has existed since the beginning of this country that we in some way are are, uh, blessed by God, that we have a right 
to exercise our will on any people that are weak enough to not fight back and that that we you know that that we're special in that way and are we special somewhat but does it mean maybe right but does it mean that we're more special than the next person i would say absolutely not and that is the challenge that happens when you have a country that believes that we are the greatest nation on earth so when you begin to attack or criticize or suggest the country could be better and or that its history has been challenging and problematic then people take that as a threat to the nation rather than a correction for the nation and what my um argument is is that we we criticize a nation because we want the nation to be better we talk about slavery because we know that Thomas Jefferson's words did not apply for millions of people that look like us. Mm-hmm. And so in order for the country to be better, we must keep Thomas Jefferson's words up at the at the forefront, but then talk about how it's only really in the last 50 years that we've made any national progress towards moving us towards a place where we all are equal. When my parents were born, the civil rights and the voting rights act had not been passed the right. civil rights act had not been passed when my parents were born they did not have the federally protected constitutional right to vote their parents did not and so to suggest that we should stop talking about that is lunacy it is foolish it is ignorant and i am i firmly reject efforts to rewrite american history efforts to gloss over american history i will take the germans as a great example who have dealt very heavily with their history do not celebrate their uh the dark parts of their history as americans do americans celebrate the confederate flag they celebrate the civil war they don't allow that in germany they deal with their history in a very different way and i think that it has brought a level of healing that has yet to come to this nation and that i think is a problem so his attacks on the 1619 project to me convey not only an ignorance but a lack of empathy and a real lack for a lack of concern for moving this nation forward towards the greatness that i think we can have that we never fully have had yet but that we can have in the future Okay. What inspired you as a history professor, a political um policy professor to produce a musical production of a story of Africans in America? Mm-hmm. You know, cuz I talk in class all the time and I figured, you know, I, it's like students are probably tired of hearing me talk. I mean, they say they're not, but I, you know, I get tired of hearing myself talk sometimes. So, <laughs> I um this is old phrase that says a picture's worth a thousand words. So I really have only ever had two real uh career interests and really two real skill sets in life. Uh mm-hmm. I have always been sort of equal parts theater person and political activist. And that was all I got. I can't fix anything, I can't cook anything. I could never go through a 3D animation graduate program like you did. I I would probably last a, a day, you know, my brain doesn't work that way. um but i can write and i can talk i think a little bit here and so i really um thought that it would make sense to take what i have been teaching for years in class and try to put it in a way that people would be able to experience it differently 
When I teach, my uh, philosophy is that uh, I've got two philosophies, two uh, uh, pedagogies that I uh, operate under. Um, one is that I'm constantly trying to educate, entertain, and inspire. Mm-hmm. That we uh, we educate, uh, we change minds, we entertain, we hold people's attention, and we inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is that there's this Chinese proverb that says, "What I hear, I forget; what I see, I remember; and what I do, I understand." And so, as I approach educating people, I think about how do I get them to engage and experience things on different levels. And I think the the seeing part, the having this these things conveyed, is such a powerful tool. I, I'm literally. When I get off with you, I've got an idea for another show I've been working on and I've been trying to pull pieces together and I was on a bike ride this morning and I got a real good revelation. So I got to get to, I got to get my artistic uh, juices are flowing. I got to get to work in a moment. But um, yeah, the, we are in a media driven culture. Yeah, we are. And so yeah. media is, I would argue, one of the most powerful tools in our society, if not the most powerful tool. If you're not in the media, you're not making a difference, I think, at the same level that you could. So that is what 1619 is about. It is about telling our story in a way that educates, that entertains, and that inspires. And um, yeah, that's why I did it. (laughs) Okay. When it comes to historical musicals, uh, excluding your own work that you just talked about, which do you consider to be a better vehicle, 1776 or Hamilton? Well, you know, Hamilton is Hamilton. I mean, I so I'm a contemporary kind of artist. So I'm going to go with Hamilton just because it has hip-hop in it, right? Exactly. Um, we have hip-hop in our show as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but I have a respect for tradition. I was listening to the, this is embarrassing, I was listening to the soundtrack to Oklahoma this morning. Um, okay. Yeah, go figure, right? You know, oh, okay. um, yeah, right. Uh, but I, so I have a respect for the genre of musical theater. It's powerful, but I just, I'm telling you, as a person, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like hip hop, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I just, I, that energy is, is something for me. So uh, anything that I can do, even for my work, I, I've tried uh, extremely hard to uh, bring our work into a contemporary context so that it's accessible. That's really what that's about for me, by the way. It's not that there's not value in, in what has been done in the past, but that it's accessible and Hamilton is accessible. And that is the beauty of Hamilton. And um, so I am, I probably would have to lean towards Hamilton on that one, but uh, I do have an appreciation for what's been done in the past as well. Let us march on till victory is won. For more information about the musical 1619, The Journey of a People by political science professor Ted Williams III, check out the playwright's website at www.tedwilliamsthird.com Next time on Interludes Did you remember to vote? It's all a wrap now Or is it? Our reaction to the 2020 election Next time on Interludes Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson, original music intro and outro by Kendall Nesbeth.
Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. Brought to you by A1 Pest Masters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pest Masters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pest Masters, tell them that you heard it on the podcast called Interludes. Interludes.